Welcome to Lamestream here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Steve Cavendish. You can follow me on Twitter at Scavendish. And if you like this show, this show, Lamestream Sports, uh, you should rate it. You should review it. You should subscribe to it. You should smash that subscribe button. But you should also tell somebody that you listen to Lamestream Sports. You love it. They should listen to it, too. And they should do all of those things as well. So we've got a big show planned for you today, obviously with the DeMar Hamlin injury on Monday evening and the broadcast, how it unfolded. We we have to address how it all went down. And Steve Lehman of News Channel 5, of course, perfect guest to explain exactly your obligations, your ethical sort of boundaries and standards when you're doing a live broadcast, how to execute the live broadcast, how ESPN handled the live broadcast how you would do a broadcast locally in Buffalo the next day. So Steve's great on all this stuff, extremely thoughtful guy, uh, lots of commentary on how Monday night unfolded. If you really want to understand all the different actors, the moving parts, what you're supposed to do, what you're not supposed to do. Steve does a great job of explaining all this for everybody today on the show. I will give you like, I, I've had a couple of these types of moments, nothing as severe as Damar Hamlin, but I've had two or three, and one of which I think I screwed up pretty bad. <laughs> so uh, I'll explain uh, that one a little bit later on. Um, but otherwise, I think Steve does a great job explaining what took place on Monday night from a, from a broadcast media TV produ- production standpoint. But first, Lamestream Sports is brought to you by Jaspers. Is this where I say always, 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 always Jaspers? Yes. Very good. Hey, do, hey congratulations. Good oh, okay. Yeah, cash your checks. That's great. <laughs> uh, go to Jasper's. <laughs> it is the next evolution of the sports bar, continuing to destroy epidemics in Nashville culinary experiences, left and right, free parking, way better bar food than any sports bar you're ever going to go to, free game rooms, actual happy hour specials that are actually special, not not ones masquerading as specials, you know, a dollar off a $15 glass of wine. That's not a happy hour special. Get out of here with that garbage. No, a $3 beer during a Preds game. That is a special two for ones on Sunday. That is a special. Those are actual drink specials. Smash burger deals during Preds games. I, you know, I, it was funny. I, I attended a Preds game this week and uh, it was my first Preds game. I had attended in, in quite some time, and uh, and I got to tell you, that team's awesome. I don't know what you people have been bitching about. Uh, <laughs> Was this the Ducks uh, game, perhaps? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, if they play, if they can just play Montreal every game, I think they'll be fine. <laughs> but the experience was the experience was good. You know, being there, kind of in the arena. However, <laughs> the parking was not free. Nope. The food was not as good. Not even close. Uh, and not even close. And and I thought what I had was a pretty good burger there at the uh, at, at the arena, but it was not it was not a Jasper's burger. And I sat there the whole time thinking, man, Wish this was a Jasper's. everything, but <laughs> I, I get a pretty good experience every time I watch a Preds game at, ja- at Jasper's. And you probably dropped about 150 bucks on all that good stuff you, you got at the uh, Bridgestone Arena. The, the beers were not on special. I can tell you that. <laughs> uh, go to Jasper's, everybody. Great place to watch the game. Business meeting, good place for a date. You want to go for a lunch. You want to go for a happy hour. Want to watch a game, obviously. It's really one of the most versatile. Uh, it is the five-tool player of sports bars in Nashville, and you'll never pay for parking. So go check it out. Uh, all right. We'll have some recommendations, some storytelling about difficult broadcasts in our career, uh, how to do all this stuff. But really, Steve Lehman does a brilliant job explaining exactly how Monday Night unfolded what you need to know about it and how you did it, how they did it so well 
and and so correctly what the boundaries are. Uh, here's our conversation with new channels, News Channel 5's Steve Lehman. Steve, welcome to the show, sir. How are you, my friend? Great, guys. Thanks for having me again. So we wanted to talk Monday Night Football, obviously, but but I think let's go back even before that. So when you're first getting started uh, in live in television and in specifically in doing live television, uh, what are the what are the things that you're taught about being on live TV and 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 about what you can what you what you can do what you sh- what you should say in a live situation and kind of like what you the things that you should be thinking about when you're on live air well steve i think there's two things i think about when you pose the question like that the first one is sort of the basic journalism thing that whether it's television or you're a newspaper reporter or whatever medium you are if you're a journalist You're trying to get the facts as fast as humanly possible to inform people. But especially when it comes to a life and death type of situation, you better be darn sure you know exactly what's happening. You better not be guessing or taking the leap from a couple of facts and trying to then draw a conclusion. You better know exactly what's happening if you're going to report it. Reading so reading random first. tweets on air, for instance. Exactly. Uh, yeah, there's no guessing. There's no tweeting when it comes to this. You better know exactly what's happening. You better have a good source for what's happening. So that's the first thing. Then the second part is if you're actually live when it's going on, I think you just want to paint the picture of what's happening. If you don't have all of the facts... You know, if you can't tell people immediately that in this case, DeMar Hamlin just suffered cardiac arrest on the field here in Cincinnati, you just try to say what you did see. And what we did see was DeMar Hamlin came up and made a tackle on T. Higgins. He got up at the end of the play. Everything looked normal. It was a relatively innocuous football play. But as soon as the play was over and he stood up immediately, He then collapsed to the ground and everyone knew something was wrong. Since then, he's been lying on the ground. His teammates, his coaches are obviously in distress over this situation. Medical personnel has rushed to his attention and they've been fervently working on on him. We don't know exactly what has transpired or what is going on down there, but they're doing everything they can, obviously, to try to help him out in this situation. And we all hope for the best. And then as you see a little bit more, you can say a little bit more without trying to guess what's happening. You just describe what you're seeing in front of you. So going through, like, try to explain to everybody all the moving parts that, that aren't seen. All, all you see on TV is the one person talking, maybe the two or three people talking. If it's a, if they kick back to the studio, you've got the on-site broadcast, you've got the truck. Like, try to give everybody a, 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 a like, as soon as it happens... And it's clearly it's clear that it's more than just a regular injury, and and they need to kind of cut away. So what they go to break, and then who are who is having the conversation at that point? Where in where they're in that first commercial break, trying to figure out what do we do next? Well, in any television setting, you're going to have the producer and the director involved, and they're talking about what pictures they have, and they're going to talk about what their sources have been able to gather and try to relay that to the on air talent. And then you'll have the on-air talent that is obviously in charge of trying to relay that information or whatever information they have to the public. Specifically, when talking about Monday Night Football, obviously you had Joe and Troy in the booth. 
You had Lisa Salters down there on the field. And so she was probably, in a lot of ways, the most valuable person at that moment because she could be the closest to the action. She had the best vantage point, although probably still not a very good one, to what was actually happening on the field with DeMar Hamlin in that moment. You'll have a producer. You'll have a director in the truck. You'll have everybody else who's back there. I don't know how much they would necessarily be in your ear or able to provide resources then. But also in this case, with a massive entity like Monday Night Football and ESPN, you probably bring in just about everybody in Bristol, you know, whether those are like we saw Susie Culver and Booger McFarland and Adam Schefter back in the studio. You bring those people in just to give you a little bit of space. Schefter has incredible contacts, obviously, throughout the NFL and certainly the league office. So can he bring something to the table here and what they're thinking about the situation, about the game, not necessarily just the medical situation? I'm sure you bring that in. And so it would just be a constant dialogue. And if I was Joe Buck, I'm probably not hearing what's going on in Bristol, but they're having a separate conversation saying, hey, if we get this next, Adam's got a tidbit to share. And they're saying, and when he does that, Guys, let's ask Booger this question because he's been in a huddle or he's been on a sideline in that situation before. You know, and then you toss it back to Joe and hopefully he gives uh, the lay of the land, so to speak. And maybe you get another report from Lisa. And it's just a constant moving chain until you get more information. And uh, frankly, I thought they, they got some criticism, but I thought they handled it exceptionally well in an unprecedented situation with a lot of moving parts. I thought they were respectful. I thought they provided information. I thought they hit the right tone. I really thought ESPN did a good job the other night. I want to get to, to Buck and Troy because I think they did a great job. Can, can you just quickly, the producer is the ultimate singular voice that makes the decision. Is it the direct, like, is all the pressure on that one person to sort of organize all that chaos you're talking about? I don't want to say it quite like that because I think there's pressure on everybody in that situation. And ultimately, it's the people who are speaking that are going to be the ones in a lot of ways that make you look good or bad. You know, the producer can have the best intentions in terms of this is the way we're going to do it. And this is how we're going to get from point A to point B in this tricky situation. But if your talent goes out there and does something different or says something different, it's going to come off in a, in a different way. So I think there's a lot of pressure everywhere there. But in this case, it seems like everybody's goals were pretty much aligned. But yeah, I mean, the producer is going to be the one, Braden, to your point, that's sitting there and is going to say in the initial, uh, Joe and Troy, you're going to have to carry this for a little bit while we figure this out. Oh, wait. OK, so now Lisa's got a little bit of news for you. Let's go down and get her. Oh, gosh, this has really lasted a while. Hey, let's go back to Bristol for a second. We're going to buy you guys some time. We're going to get in a different perspective here, toss it back to the studio. All right, now we got to come back to Cincinnati because everybody in the world wants to see what's going on there. That's ultimately what the producer is going to do and have to inform the talent and get them on the same page. One of the toughest things I'm struck by is being on live air, having to having to fill that air without necessarily having something new to say. In a situation like that, what do you, what's what's going through like the talent's head? What's going through the trucks? Uh, you know, what, what are the conversations that are happening like in the truck about are do are we just silent here? Are we are we measured? Are we just repeating stuff? Because th at some point there was just a lot of there was a lot of repeating. Yeah, I fortunately have never had an 
instance in my career that was quite like the other night. So I can't totally speak to what would be going through your head in that moment. I would say that from my perspective, guys, I think I would just be trying in my head to be very measured about what I said, even if it meant repeating, to avoid jumping to any conclusions. Because again, going back to the very first point here, you don't want to say anything that you don't know is a concrete fact in that situation. I think about this, I didn't know this till after the fact, but it was sort of the second heartbreaking moment for me in the week after actually watching what happened on Monday night was to learn that DeMar Hamlin's seven-year-old little brother, Demir, was at home in Pittsburgh with a lot of the family and watching the game on TV. And I think that's something you have to think about as a broadcaster, especially in a situation like this, when you have millions of people watching, is there's a pretty good chance that a bunch of people who know DeMar Hamlin are watching. Not just Bills fans, not just football fans, but his family members, his friends. You know, we we talked to Rashad Weaver the other day in the Titans locker room. He played with him at Pitt. He knew him for seven years, and he was obviously a day later still broken up over the situation, and understandably so. So you have to think as a broadcaster that these are the people you're talking to as well as just the general public, and you don't want to say anything that's going to cause them any more stress, especially if it is not solid news, solid information that you're passing along. So at the expense of potentially sounding redundant, I, I think that's what you have to do. You have to just repeat the information that you have. And I found myself as a viewer the other night looking at it and just saying, I'll take any information, but I just want to keep watching. You know, I I just want to see what's happening here because in some ways that made me feel better of feeling like I was going to get the next piece of information whenever it came, whether that was from the NFL, whether that was going to be ESPN reporting, whether that was something I was going to see with my own eyes. I just wanted to keep watching and seeing what was happening and transpiring. And I didn't mind the fact that they repeated a lot of the same stuff over and over again because they knew exactly what I knew at that point, and that wasn't very much. And and there's a pretty standard, you know, resetting is a term in the business in radio and in television that is about kind of you don't know when people are coming to you when the channel actually turns on in any individual household or radio channel or whatever. And it's about making sure that no matter how often the audience is changing, you're continuing to tell people exactly what's happening. And we actually, to your point, Steve, like watching Zach, there was actual news happening in real time because Zach Taylor walks across the field. Like in real time, he walks, that's news that you can only get with a camera. You right. can't get that from anywhere else. You have to look at that and see that happening. And and they, of course, have their conversation. You can tell how distraught people are. And I thought, Listen, I think it's hard to do what what Schefter and Colbert and Booger McFarland had to do off site in a in a set. Like once they did their one segment, I was like, I'm not sure we need to hear that segment again because we heard it. But when they went when they went back to Joe Buck, it was very clear that they had a plan to lay out the timeline of events very clearly, succinctly, and with just the facts, no opinion. Here's what's happened. Here's where we are. Joe's like giving it timestamps, 855 or whatever. Yep. And I thought that segment was as good a segment as anybody could have ever done in that moment. And and I, I hope there's another one that they did again where they cut back to the tunnel and Lisa's under the tunnel. But I thought those two people give Joe Buck a lot of a lot of flack. People have opinions about Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, but 
I'm not sure there's anybody in our business that could have done that segment better than those two. I agree. No one on that night certainly did. He he was outstanding at what he did in that moment. And it, it went right back to the basics. In a lot of ways, this jumps aside a little bit, but to news gathering type of stuff, you'll see at times in really severe situations where sports guys hop into the field to do something in a breaking news setting. I've covered a couple tornado aftermaths in my life and those sort of things. And I find that generally sports people are pretty good in that situation because in essence, it's almost like you're giving play by play because there isn't a ton of information. This isn't something that you can recite or, you know, grab a ton of sources and all right, this is my report. It's now 90 seconds long and I'm going to present this to you in this neat little box. Oftentimes it's, Hey, look at this. This is what we know happened over here. Look at, look at that damage or look at what's happened here. This is what I can tell you about it. And you come back and you're just kind of thinking on your feet. And Joe Buck essentially did that with the incident the other night. He laid out the timeline. He laid out what we saw. He gave play by play to the incident after it happened. And he did it in a very respectful manner. And that's why he's one of the best in the biz. To, to and, and to to that point and and uh, and the point about kind of like people coming in here ratings for the for the broadcast were running around 21 20 uh 21.2 million and then spiked way up mm-hmm. I, th- I think the final number was like 23.9 million so like millions of people are, are t- turning this thing on uh at the time and, and you know that kind of gets to the uh, the 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 how much are you repeating and obviously you've got new viewers and you've got people coming in because it's a live situation I, I i'm interested in in what your perspective is on on what you show video wise uh, i mean monday night football famously uh, uh with joe theisman uh over shared yeah. <laughs> uh, a, a horrific incident and i think I think maybe they're always going to be scarred by that a little bit. Um, but, but there was, and I'm not talking about like showing him down on, on the ground knocked out, but, but at least like showing the hit or kind of showing, you know, that, that sequence with he and Higgins, how much, how much do you want to see as a, as a viewer, how much do you think is appropriate kind of as a, as, as a broadcaster? I honestly don't know if there's a right answer there because I think there's a lot of different perspectives, Steve. You know, I know some people who probably wanted to see every instance of it. I, I actually, not to single him out, but just as an example, our executive producer, Brian McKeegan, was editing in the other room. And so he wasn't watching the game live. And when I told him what happened, he immediately came back and grabbed one of the DVR remotes and backed it up. And watched it as it happened. You know, I think for a lot of people, that's human nature. You want to see what happened, even if it's traumatic. But there's also a point that comes, and there's other people out there who don't want to see it. But I think certainly there's a point that comes that it becomes grotesque to keep repeating it. And so we actually made the choice within our sportscast that we weren't going to show him collapse when we got to it that night. Because my thought at that point is people have seen it. So let's let's just show the aftermath of it and we'll talk about what we know and we'll get to some reaction from Titans players who tweeted and those sort of things, but we don't need to show it again. And I think from the ESPN perspective, if I remember correctly, I think they showed it a few times up front to kind of go back and get the feeling of what happened 
You know, because at first, I mean, honestly, if you watch the play, it was such a normal play. You didn't see anything. It wasn't you, you like this it. massive collision where you're like, oh, my gosh, in the moment, like we so often get. It was just a normal football play. And then all of a sudden somebody's down on the field. They had to go back to see exactly what happened. But the first time you saw it, you knew, oh, th- this is different than what a normal injury on the football field is like. And so they showed it a few times, but after, I don't know, that first break or so, I think they pretty much went away from doing that. And to me, that was the right call. You've now shown it to your audience. You don't need to show it again. You had a situation with Christian Eriksen and and Denmark in the Euros, in, in, in the European Championships here a couple summers ago. Uh, very similar situation. His heart stops. He has to be shocked on the field. Uh, he's He's alive. He's playing again. Um, but there was a, there was kind of a debate at the time about kind of like how much of that do you show, uh, versus it's news. I mean, it's, you're talking about the actual medical attention, right? Yeah. The the actual actual medical attention or whatever that that he's, that he's getting, um, obviously the players kind of like surrounded that, uh, the surrounded the scene there and kind of prevented sort of any real sort of view of the medical attention he's getting. But I, I mean, the flip side of that is, is, is that's, that's very much news. It's, it's a, uh, it's a traumatic injury. Uh, and it is, it, you know, it's going to force the stoppage of an NFL game. How much of that do you, uh, do you, are you comfortable showing uh, or, or do you think people want to see or should see? Yeah, I think there's a balance there. For me, Steve, I, I think in the moment as it's happening, you're right, it's news. It kind of goes back into the play-by-play mode of the situation. You don't know exactly what's going on, but if you can see something, well, that's the news you need to report to people. And I think they did a good job of that. They didn't guess in the first couple of breaks that, oh, he's down on the field and it looks like they're doing this. That They didn't say any of that. What they did is when they got it confirmed later on that they – gave him CPR on the field and essentially resuscitated him. They then told you that as the viewing audience. So I think they did a good job there. And I think they tried to show you the, the pictures the best they could up front to give you an idea. Once it was clear what exactly happened though, they didn't overdo it. So I, I think they played the balance right there. And I think you're right. Again, your viewers want to see this and they want to see what happened. I just think it's human nature, as, as sad as that almost is to say. Yeah. We want to watch the train wreck. We want to see the car accident and know what we're now witnessing the aftermath, how it happened, how it transpired. And so there is that human nature that people want to see it. But once you've seen it once, twice, maybe three times, then I think it becomes overkill. And you got to be very careful of that. And I think, you know, like, it's not any different. Like if you're watching severe weather unfold and you're watching the floodwaters tear a house apart or you're watching, I mean, obviously we all know what we were doing for 9-11 or the OJ Bronco chase or any of this stuff. And I'm not trying to compare any of this stuff to to each other, but it's just watching something unfold in real time. Like you, you have to just consistently reset it. And then, but you can't not show like the weather channel does this at, at you know it's almost like you're studying these severe weather patterns and all of a sudden you you're like I can't I can't watch the same house get torn down by this flood over and over again and they don't even blink about showing that a million times it feels like yeah the weather channel is one of those that 
most of the time, I don't think people tune into the Weather Channel to watch hours on hours. They tune in because they get weather on the eights or whatever, and maybe they right. get the big news story off the top. So they're in a little different spot of showing the same thing over and over again because I think they're assuming your audience is different. ESPN was in the spot where they really, in a lot of ways, had a captive audience. They had some people tuning in, and that's where you get back to that reset point where you've got to tell the people who are just tuning in for the first time that – if you're joining us, this is what's happened. Damar Hamlin suffered what appears to be a catastrophic injury on the field here. We don't know exactly what happened, but he he was in a collision with T. Higgins making a tackle. He got up briefly, but then he collapsed to the field. And ever since, medical personnel have been working on him. Players, coaches have been gathered around and down on knees praying. And they're clearly emotional about what they're seeing. And Obviously, he's getting the most help he can, and, and we're trying to gather more information. You've got to continue to update people about that. Yeah. But, yeah, I, when it comes to the pictures, I think you're always best off showing what's happening right now and providing the information you have as opposed to going back in a situation like that and replaying, replaying, replaying. Which then, you know, then it moves to the tunnel, and then it's the coaches interacting in the tunnel, and so it does yeah. evolve. It does evolve. Uh, in your opinion, if you're in that, that chair, if you're Susie Colbert in that chair or – you're another studio host and they've brought you Hey, we need you in real quick. We need to get this other studio up and running. Cause we need to be able to bounce around and give people time to breathe and kind of reset their own there. Cause like <laughs> you could tell how hard it was for everybody to actually execute the words on the air. Oh yeah. Um, what, when is it okay? How do you do it personally when it's now we've got a, it, like what happens with the game? All right. There's an actual, there's another, there's an actual football game here. And I'm not talking about people bloviating on Twitter. I'm saying you're a part of the broadcast when is it that you, I mean, we know exactly what Booger McFarland felt and, and he said he made it very clear and I thought he did a great job. How do you cover the other stuff? Like in that moment, is it not till the next day? Is it not 48 hours later? Like when, when are you comfortable asking a question? Hey, there's a, there's also a football game here. It's not disrespectful to the family, but it is news. How, how do you do, how do you make that transition? Yeah, Braden, there's no playbook for that. So I don't know, honestly, uh, you're just playing it the best you can. My personal thought on that was when the game broadcast was still going on. So in that hour or hour and a half where essentially it was still Joe and Troy in the booth. And then they were tossing to these other people, even back to the studio, but it was still sort of a game broadcast. I think your sole focus there is reporting on DeMar Hamlin and what you know and what's happening with that specific game in that moment. Like once he's off the field and headed to the hospital, you're still reporting on the information, whatever you can get there. But then your focus turns a little bit more to, okay, are we going to play this game? Are we going to somehow get back on the field here and try to finish this after what we just saw? And you have that conversation. And I think you also have the conversation of, and if it doesn't happen, like, do we postpone for a while? Are we done for tonight? Do we try to play tomorrow? I think you can focus on that. Any conversation beyond that of once the game is postponed, should we play it this week? Are we going to have a new week 19 in the schedule after the season is over? If we don't play it, is this going to be a tie? Is it going to be a no contest? How does it factor? Any of those more trivial, if you want to call it that, notes have to be discussed later on you know whether that's sports center after the game broadcast is over whether that's the next day 
you know, you can make the call of what you feel like the news is best presented. You know, if you get new news on DeMar during SportsCenter, that takes precedence over anything you're talking about down the road, obviously. And so you can let that kind of play out as it will. But during the actual moment of the game, you're strictly focused on the person and the life and the important stuff there. And then once you've kind of gotten all the information you can there, then I think you turn the attention to the game that people were originally tuned into. And are we going to try to play this? Is it fair to even ask these people to try to think about playing it? And if not, how do they go about doing something that frankly is unprecedented? And that's postponing an NFL game in the middle of it and saying, everybody go home. We're not going to do this today. You're in the situation. Good. Well, I was going to say you're on the local broadcast in Buffalo on Tuesday, the next night, and you've got to come on to do the broadcast. How, what percentage? And there's no real update on the health, right? Or, or we have the standard update that we got, which is I think the family put out a statement on Tuesday and said, "Here's the situation." There's not really much new to report. You've got, let's say, you've got three minutes. I, I don't know how much they'd have in Buffalo, but let's say it's that's it's three minutes, which is probably a lot of time in a, on a local broadcast. But in this situation. How much of that, like, how do you decide how much of that broadcast is strictly just updates and facts versus the game versus what are the next steps versus the one seed in the AFC? Like, what? how do you even begin to organize your broadcast if you're in Buffalo the next day, that, that, that next night? This is the first time I've actually thought about that because fortunately I didn't have to play it from the home team perspective this week. If it were our station, though, I'd be the lead of the show. And you'd have to have some kind of news. So you try to add in. And yes, maybe the only news you really have as a station is the update that the Bills gave or the NFL gave or something like that. But I think I would be charged with finding some perspective on what's happening or what might happen next with DeMar in whatever 90-second hit I do there. So whether that's a local doctor or a hard expert or whatever it is. I, I think that's probably where your focus is there. And then when you get into that sports cast that you're talking about that you might have three minutes on later in the show, I think what we would probably be doing there is getting as much reaction as we could from the team. And hopefully that's sound on camera, but it may just be in this case, because I think they were off the next day, it may just be reaction to what guys said on Twitter. Like a lot of Bills players went to Twitter that night and asked for prayers for their brother in that case. It may just be reading a bunch of tweets or getting people from around the league or or taking bites. I know like Donovan Mitchell scores 71 that night and he talked about it in his post game. So maybe it's bringing in a Donovan Mitchell soundbite and saying, see, this injury, this thing we all witnessed last night, it goes far beyond – our city limits here in Buffalo or even Cincinnati where the game played. This is about everybody in the sports community rallying together. Look at Donovan Mitchell after his great game talking about it last night. So, I mean, I, I think that's where most of it is. And then maybe the last little bit of the show or the little bit of the segment would be about what's next for the bills. You know, they were off today to gather with their family and friends, but they'll be back in the building tomorrow because as far as we know and what the NFL has said, week 18 goes on as scheduled this weekend. And so they're going to have to get back in the building as hard as it is tomorrow and start preparing for a football game. 
real fast, just as an update, just as a factoid here, it's we're taping this about 10 o'clock central time on Thursday. It's supposed to be the first open locker room for the Bills on Thursday afternoon. Mm -hmm. And as of time of taping, we don't even know if that's actually going to happen or not. So it's that it's literally minute to minute still in Buffalo today. So that's 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 why I wanted your perspective. The one of the one of the things that 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 came up it was people were asking kind of when the, when the repetitive nature of, of the of the coverage kind of kicked in, uh, people were asking, well, why wasn't there? Why didn't they have like a package or something sort of kind of like off in the uh, like kind of off to the side that they could go to as a change of pace uh, to to put into the to put into the the broadcast. And, and I was struck by, okay, that's not a bad idea, but like what's in it and how hard is it to produce something like that either and have it just sit there, have it just, just be sitting there that it may never be used or how hard is it to do that on the fly and, and kind of, and kind of put something like that together, whether it's stopped NFL games or, you know, kind of whatever, whatever sort of like, you know, one minute or two minute thing you could do. What, what, what would, is that even a feasible thing or not? It's hard, Steve. I honestly don't know what you do there. Like what is the package that people wanted them to go to there? I I don't know what possibly they could do that either would have been done ahead of time that would have felt like it was in an appropriate place at this point when you just watched something we've never seen before happen on the field or how you would pull together something after it happened to try to run it in 30 minutes or something like that, that would say anything other than what the people on the, I mean, that's why it's live breaking news, right? Because the package you recorded 15 minutes ago may be obsolete by the time you get to it. So I just don't see how that makes any sense. One of my criticisms of the night (laughs) is of the Twitter crowd that came in to criticize the broadcast for doing things. And one of the things I kept seeing people say is, why are they still there? Why are they still at the game? Why are they still? Everybody should just pack up and go home. And the, the thing I just go back to with that is ESPN was broadcasting the football game. They pay a billion dollars to have the rights to this game. They are a 24-7 sports network. The people watching them that night wanted to know what was up with DeMar Hamlin. They wanted all of the information of that moment and what it happened and what it meant. It would have been entirely inappropriate for them to say, this was catastrophic. It's something we've never seen before. And DeMar Hamlin's been taken to the hospital and we're not playing football. So we're going to sign off the air tonight and we'll see you next time on Monday Night Football. And then like go to a 1988 rerun of Scholastic Sports America because nobody wanted to talk about it. You know, like (laughs) you've got to step up to the plate and do your job, even as uncomfortable as as it is, and assume that if your viewers really get tired of it, they're going to turn you off or go to something else. You know, they're going to turn on Netflix at that point and try to get away from it. But you have to assume that of those 23 million, Steve, that, you know, a huge chunk of those people hung around for a good long time because they were hoping and praying for any level of new information on the incident. And I think ESPN did a good job with that. I, I was really glad ESPN had the game and not, for instance, I was glad it wasn't an NFL network uh, kind of, kind of feed. Uh, you know, they, I thought they kind of mangled the, the Tua concussion stuff earlier in the season. 
especially with kind of they i mean they had a they had a they had a sideline slash brought like studio kind of kind of group of guys who weren't really equipped to do that uh, fortunately I, I think espn has a has a pretty good well of of talent and, and like mcfarland's great i mean he's really really good he came on and i think the first thing he said was you know, we play a violent game and it set like this really interesting tone for it. But uh, to your point, I, I think you're exactly right. ESPN at its core is, you know, ha- has, has a news DNA in it that, that benefited that coverage, uh, but also meant that they, you, to your, I think you're exactly right. They're not, they're not going to just dump the game because, because the game got called off. Yeah, exactly right. I, I think you can make an argument that the best thing ESPN does is their news reporting and like feature type stories on things that are outside of sports. They just have a wealth of talent in that realm of writers and speakers and hosts and reporters that get you really good information. And I think it was on display the other night. I think just about everybody they brought on hit the right pitch and tone. It was interesting Earlier that day, it was January 2nd, I turned on the TV to start watching bowl games. And the first bowl game started at 11 o'clock, and I must have turned it on at like 10.57 or something like that. And I caught the last three minutes of first take. And Ryan Clark was on first take, and they were debating the Kayvon Thibodeau snow angel after he uh, knocked out the quarterback and he got carted off the field the other day. And Ryan Clark was taking what I thought at the time was a totally indefensible position of defending Thibodeau and and the antics and everything he did. And I get it, like Thibodeau may not have known when he did the snow angel that the guy was knocked out and would later be carted off to the and go to the hospital or whatever happened. But when he went to the sideline and did the put you to sleep thing, he had a pretty good idea at that point. And I, I don't think you can defend that. It is a violent game and it's also a brotherhood and you've got to protect each other. And Ryan Clark was trying to defend it. I just thought, this is mind-blowing that he's doing that. And it, I, I actually sort of lost some respect for Ryan in the moment. He came on that night with SVP, and those guys did a great job. I don't know if there could have been a better person on TV. First off, to host it, because SVP is so yeah. good and humanizes everything. But also to provide the analysis there, because Ryan set the scene. He understands the violent nature of the sport. And he also, remember, suffered a nearly catastrophic injury. I think his spleen ruptured after a hit on the field. And people didn't know if he was going to make it at one point during his career. He was able to provide a human context to football, what we all saw from a teammate's perspective, from a sports perspective, and from even the injured person's perspective. And I just thought he was really, really good. So in the span of like 12 hours in weird and awful circumstances, he went from like me not understanding what planet he was living on and defending Kayvon Thibodeau to being maybe the best person on the planet to talk about what had happened to DeMar Hamlin and the situation. And at least that night, he was as good as it got. Well, and it's funny, like that, that part of the Brock, like once they get, once they got to SVP and I think part of the, and, and again, you can let me in Steve as part of the, the, the folks who were like, well, what does, what do you do here if you're a producer? Because going back to Colbert and Booger and Schefter didn't seem like it was adding anything once they went back the second time. And I was like, I was kind of like, well, I don't, what happens if this extends for two and a half hours? We can't just have this exact same segment for two and a half hours. So I thought going back to the stadium which they clearly did a lot after that was was the right thing to do and it was great and it and they did a great job the the on-site crew was amazing 
But then you have to eventually, once the game is canceled, you have to then, what's your next piece of programming? And SVP with Ryan Clark, they didn't show any bit of the injury. All they showed was was the, the players' reactions and the visuals of the emotion of the moment. They kind of kept it pretty tight on explaining everything and, and humanizing it all. I thought that that is a very difficult broadcast, but I thought visually... With the packages they produced, I thought were really, really good. And I thought the two voices they had, as you've already said, w- w- was I- ideal for that situation because those two guys, man, they that's an impossible gig and ahead of time, right? Like, and they had to do it probably, what, an hour and a half before yeah. they were and even- really not even that, Braden, because you, you really can't produce a show there. It's not like you can be like, all right, here's the A block. And we're going to do this, 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 and this. And then in the B block, we're going to move to this new thing because one, it's really all the same thing. And two, you don't know if you'll get more information. Like you could produce that show. And all of a sudden, as soon as you get in, you find out that, you know, miraculously everything's good and he's fine at the hospital and he's going to get up and walk out of there tonight. Or more likely in this situation, hopefully not at this point, but you might get tragic news that you have to adjust to. And and so you really just have to go into it saying anything flies here. And we just have to talk about what we know. And for my money, there's no one in the business, at least in the sports business, that's any better at that than Scott Van Pelt in sitting in the studio and understanding everything that you've seen and being able to draw it in and talk about it and, and direct the stage, if you will, of what's happening one of the things I think about when I think of Scott Van Pelt and the job he does is someone told me a long time ago, one of the ways you judge the people that you watch on TV is just strictly in an interaction basis. Would I like to have a beer with that person? Do I want to have dinner with that person? And if the answer is yes, chances are you like them and think they're good at what they do and are probably going to come back and watch. I don't know if there's a person on TV at any level that I'd more rather have a beer with than Scott Van Pelt. And I don't think I'm alone in that. It's just the way he comes across. And in a way, I sort of felt like I was drinking a beer or a bourbon with him on Monday night, kind of drowning my sorrows after this awful thing that we all had witnessed. And, and he was talking me through it as like, you know, and now we get to the point that I've never seen before in an NFL game where you knew by looking at the players' faces that this was a very different injury. These guys are accustomed to seeing broken bones and concussions and all those sort of things on the field. Like I think back, Traylon Burks got knocked out on that catch in Philadelphia. And people were concerned, obviously, because he he was out for whatever it was, 10 seconds, 15 seconds before they got to him on the field. And that was very concerning. But, you know, moments later, he was up off the turf and you figured he probably had a concussion, but you weren't worried that he anything more than that was happening in the moment. It became very clear the other night that it was a different situation. I thought Scott's relay of that was perfect. And it kind of brought you back to watching it in the moment is it's like you saw Sean McDermott's face. You saw Josh Allen's face and you knew this was a different situation. And so then you go about, well, what do we do now? First and foremost, it's about the player's health and how we do the best to help him. But secondly, what do we do with this football game? This is an enormous football game that everybody was looking forward to. And now we're in this situation that's just very much different than that. And I thought for however long they were on, an hour, hour and a half, two hours, whatever it was, he did a remarkable job of 
giving us what we already knew, any new information that came in, but also just humanizing it and sort of telling you the way it happened and the way you already watched it with your own eyes and heart earlier. And SVP is just really good at that. And ESPN was blessed to have him in that chair on Monday night. Steve, always a pleasure, man. Um, glad I'm glad to hear that that you've never had to do anything like the, the situation. I hope n- very few of us ever have to, um, but I think you'd be excellent at it if you did. So thank you for coming on. We do appreciate it. And uh, go Bruins. Hey, thanks. Real quick, one last parting thought on this is just, and this was all about the media, but just from a Twitter perspective and maybe a general world perspective, when things like this happen, you see some great out of it. Obviously, what happened with Damar Hamlin's GoFundMe page was incredible to see millions and millions of dollars pour in. There's a real value to the social media spreading of something like this. But in the exact moment on Monday night, there was also kind of a cancer that came with it in terms of people guessing and trying to describe. I mean, the amount of people who tried to diagnose what happened you know, and tie it to something or tie it to the hit itself. We still don't know 100% for sure that the hit is what caused what happened. It's not out of the realm of possibility that he had some underlying heart thing like a Hank Gathers from years ago. I mean, we don't know is the point. And the idea that people three days ago in the moment thought that they could somehow diagnose it. And I'm not talking about like you and me on Twitter. I'm talking about people who had like MD after their name. We're coming on and trying to do that. And that's just one inappropriate, but lacks all grace in the moment. And then the other thing is the amount of people who wanted to criticize Joe Buck or Troy Aikman or Lisa Salters or Adam Schefter or Booger McFarland or whatever. You have no idea what being in that situation is like. And I promise you this, everybody out there, and I would put the NFL in this. A lot of people wanted to criticize them. They're like, how are they potentially going to play the game? How are they going to do? You know what happened? An hour later, the game was called. And that was the right decision. It takes a minute to cancel an NFL football game when you have 70,000 people there. And by the way, he was on the field for 30 minutes before he got out of there and, and off in the ambulance. It You don't go from 30 minutes of making sure the person on the field gets everything they need to then 31 minutes saying, okay, guys, game's off. Everybody go home. This is what it takes a moment to have a conversation of, all right, logistically, how are we going to do this? We're on national television to 23 million people. We've got all this going on. This is an important football game. It's pretty clear we can't play it now, but like, what's the proper way to, do we just let all the teams go home? Do we tell them that we're going to try and play this tomorrow? You know, there's a lot of conversations that go on that you're never privy to, and they're not happening on Twitter. And all these people who chimed in and said that the NFL is a monster, all they care about is money, they're going to send them right back out there. And and I bet, I'm not saying Joe or any of those guys were wrong about the five-minute thing, by the way, because that's protocol. I bet somewhere along the way, whether it was to the TV truck or to the coaches on the field, the first words were, you know, we'll have five minutes like we do normally when this happens and we'll come back and play. I bet that happened. And then very quickly, everybody on the field was like, no way, man. Like we just saw no way. And I'm sure the people in the NFL office thought the same thing. They were like, oh, well, that was never on the table because we know this is a different situation now. And I just too many people rushed to judgment of too many things the other night. And that's one thing that everyone needs to, needs to take a lesson from journalism, frankly, is if you don't know, it's best to not talk about it. It's best to not <laughs> speculate or guess or pass judgment because chances are at the end of the day, everyone's doing the best they possibly can in the situation to make it all. And in this case, 
All we hope for is that DeMar Hamlin makes a full recovery and gets back to a normal life. Hopefully football field, but at least a normal life with his family and friends. Yeah, uh, well, very very well said. I think the only three tweets I threw out there were excellent job by Joe Buck, uh, great leadership by the coaching staffs of both teams, and like what the hell do the producers do? Like those are like the only three things I think I threw out there. Uh, you don't have to make it about you on Twitter. Like if a celebrity dies, you don't have to make it about you. <laughs> like you can just say something quietly to yourself in your room without without the internet. You could just talk to your significant other for a minute. You could just sit in peace and silence if you want and just think about it for a second. It's okay to do all of that. Uh, Steve, thank you so much, man. We really appreciate it. Very well said, and uh, we appreciate your time. You bet, guys. Be well. That was Steve Lehman, News Channel 5. And I, I do love, like, again, I've, I've done a lot of radio shows with Steve. Incredibly thoughtful guy. I think he uh, follows the rules of journalism to a T. But also, when you need him to get on that, <laughs> when he wants to get on that soapbox and have a good opinion, he's pretty damn good about that, too. Uh, and I like finishing with a, hey, shut up on Twitter, guys. <laughs> I, I, like, I like Steve finishing with that. So uh, really good conversation there. I'm not sure there's anything we can truly add to how a tv broadcast no i mean i I, mean, I i think i, I think layman's got a got a great head for this this type of uh this type of situation and uh i, I thought he was just kind of spot on i was really glad he made he made time for us this week so i was on the air for a couple of different really critical things not anywhere close to a life and death situation there's two or three that i thought i did a really good job with there's one i didn't do a very good job with i'll explain all that coming up in just a second but first lamestream sports is brought to you by Jaspers, always brought to you by the quarter zips at Jaspers. Yep, lots of quarter zips at Jaspers. And in that lower bowl where Steve was sitting, apparently, for the Montreal Canadiens game uh, over the weekend. Um, no, we love the quarter zips. The quarter zips are great, you know, supporters of the Nashville Predators, as is Jaspers. It's great drink specials, $10 beers, which normally is like $15. $3, or, did I say $10 beers? That's an expensive beer. That's a, that's that's a Bridgestone an Arena beer. That's a Bridgestone Arena beer. Uh, no. $10 smash burgers, which is normally $15, $3 beers. So again, an actual special during Preds games, home and road, go to Jasper's. Of course, you got the grab and go market, pick up some cheesecake. That's my recommendation on the way out. Bring that home to the kiddos or to the, to the spouse. If you're not with her at, the, at Jasper's and uh, you'll, you'll get some points there for sure. The food's great. The parking's free. Great place to hang out. Always, 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 Steve, always, always. Jaspers. Go to Jaspers. Okay. Uh, so three things real quickly uh, that I remember. I was on the air. This was the night Joe Paterno was fired uh, as the Penn State head football coach. This was like a Thursday night. I think it was 2011-ish. I don't even remember. Um, my phone lines broke, and I was on the air for two hours straight having to talk about why Joe Paterno was fired for two hours uh, by yourself with no callers, which probably was better, frankly. I mean... Without, without the callers. That's probably the most difficult radio show I've ever done, uh, just as like a subject matter, content matter show. Are, are you sure somebody in the are you sure somebody in the booth didn't just do you a solid and be like, oh, the phone right. lines, <laughs> the phone you're... lines are down. I don't maybe you're right, but like a guest would have been nice that <laughs> during that two hour show to report on what was actually happening in Happy Valley. Uh, I was here in Nashville doing the show. It was on Sirius XM and it was like a again, it was like a Thursday night, like a six to eight p.m. thing and I just remember having to talk about why Joe Paterno, the winningest coach in, in college football history, was being fired and let go and trying to walk through the details 
of the entire scandal is just one of the most difficult things ever. The most interesting one, uh, and the one we got, I think we got wrong was on one of two five when Kevin Fiala got injured. And in, I think it was game four of the St. Louis series. And yeah. he is, he's laying on the ice and they have to cart him off. And he eventually has to go to the hospital. And we came on the air the next morning. There was no, no news, no information. Nobody, had, no, no sources had anything. And somehow, some way, a tweet got read on the air about what had happened specifically, like a, you know, a, a fe- ephemeral artery in the leg or some- something like that. I can't remember exactly what it was, but somehow, some way that a tweet got read on the air. It was not me, Steve, but it was my show and my name was on it. And it, it went on the air and it should not have been read. And that's exactly what Steve Lehman talked about. You cannot re-speculate about medical situations unless you know for sure. Now, it turned out it eventually was accurate, but it was the absolute wrong thing to do. It was it was our show. It was Fitzy and I. And we that got on the air on our show. And it was absolutely a failure on our part because that was read right on the air. Even if it turned out to be correct later on, it was unconfirmed from a, a, a non-labeled source, and it was absolutely the wrong thing to do. And it's exact example of what Steve Lehman was was talking about today. Yeah, I mean, you can get lucky in those situations and 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 have it turn out to be true, but man, I, the risk on it is just so it, it's just so not worth it. It's absolutely not worth it. And I've heard I've heard this happen a couple of times. I've and I've seen it on some on, on some TV uh, broadcasts where people will just you know they'll use they'll use Twitter as, as a, you know, a source of content to fill time. Uh, and it's, it's just, I mean, outside of just like somebody's pure reaction, like, you know, it's like Steve was saying, you know, the other bills players tweeting out, you know, prayers for tomorrow and, and, and that sort of thing. I mean, that's, that's appropriate, but, but the, the, the Twitter diagnosis, uh, I always joke with I always joke with people, you know. I I, I sometimes play a lawyer on Twitter, uh, and, and you know, <laughs> when we're talking when we we get to, get to talking about like speculative legal stuff, and that's fine as long as you know that this like this is not real and this this should never ever be considered anything approaching legal advice or 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 legal whatever else. And I, I just in a broadcast situation you're playing with fire so much if you if yeah. you if you're just turning to turning to the fire hose of twitter well, in order to in order to fill time i mean a bills player is an actor in the saga like like they they are inside the story they're not outside the story so bills yep. player saying something on twitter is part of the story like a, a football player on the team said x like but you that- gotta be careful like I, i'm thinking about like the grant wall situation where his brother went on you know his, his brother went on instagram and was like and was sure that his death had that there was something nefarious about his death that had happened, and that got picked up and you know, that got picked up in publications all over the world. And you just you have to be careful with that stuff. You cannot just yeah. get, if you give oxygen to that stuff. I mean, I'm I'm thinking about like I meant I meant a player inside the locker room, like a yeah, like, yeah. A, like he that's an actor that's inside the locker room. The brother is literally half a world away. I mean, it was like, it was it was literally half a world away. He was yeah, in Seattle. Yeah. Um, the the toughest one though that ever like un, that I've ever done that unfolded like in real time was the Wednesday night before the pandemic shut down. So this would have been like I don't know, like March twelfth or something like that. It was a Wednesday night, and we we had a three hour. I was a three hour show solo on Sirius XM. It started at like six p.m. and this was like Rudy Gobert reaching over and like 
touching all the reporters microphones and then he tests positive for COVID. So the Utah jazz game is canceled earlier that day. The NCAA had announced that no fans were going to be at any of the NCAA tournament games for the entire month. The NHL announced like during the show that they were going to have a board of directors meeting the next morning to decide if they were going to play the season. Freaking Tom and Rita Hanks are announcing that they have Twitter or that they have, they have COVID on Twitter in Australia. Fred Hoiberg, because the, the, the Big Ten tournament's happening, the SEC tournament's happening. Fred Hoiberg was the head coach at Nebraska, I believe, at the time. He goes to the hospital at halftime or right after the their their Big Ten basketball game. And I'm having to sort of relay this all of this information all at one time, it, almost every single segment. I just repeated myself for basically three hours for 12 straight segments just saying, here is what's happened. Here's what's going on. And oh, by the way... We don't know anything about COVID. <laughs> like it was, it was probably the hardest show I've ever done. Um, I mean, not the subject matter wasn't as hard as the Joe Paterno stuff, but but man, it was just like we have no clue what's happening here. Well, like, those early those early days of the, the coverage in those early days of COVID, when when you didn't know, uh, when you didn't know what the ultimate severity was, when you didn't, you know, when people were dying and you didn't know if the disease was ultimately fatal for anybody versus those that had uh, ver versus those that had were, were in a tougher place health wise versus, you know, older folks. I, it's just, it was, there was a lot of, yeah, there's just stuff we don't know. And it's scary as hell. Well, I mean, you know, into that, into that vacuum goes a lot of different things. Uh, but, but most of all at, at that point, it was just fear. You know, we have fear of, of the virus and, and, and what it was going to do and what it was going to do. I can't imagine just, just sitting there just yeah, kind of having to, having to rattle it off. Well, and it started with like just the first segment was just, Hey, no fans in it at the NCAA tournament, but we still have conference tournaments going on. And then like by the second segment, there was like, Oh, the, the NBA's canceling game. By the third segment, we added like the NHL story by the fourth segment, there was Tom Hanks by the fifth segment. It was. And I remember being on the air with the Hoiberg thing because he looked like he was having like a flu, like meltdown on the sidelines of a big 10 basketball game. And I'm sitting there going like, I can't go on the air and say this person has COVID. I can't say that, but I can say no. he looks like he's struggling and has been taken to the hospital. And that's all you can say in context of all these other lists of things that are happening. And I think at the end of, of each segment, I think I was just like, and how do we expect to play basketball games this weekend? Cause everything was still technically scheduled at the time. So it was just a very, very bizarre show, but as long as you stick to the facts and you just tell people what's going on and then you reset your audience because it's going to be new every quarter hour in radio, that's the best kind of you can do. And uh, I'm not going to lie, like the adrenaline you get when you're doing that is it's intense, man. I cannot even imagine what Joe Buck and Troy Aikman were, were feeling like from from like an energy standpoint, like it's just got to be insane. The thing that I appreciated the most, and I th and I think that you know, uh, of of the five people that were on the air the most during that during that, I, I thought Aikman was Aikman didn't have a ton to offer, uh, and 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 didn't offer a ton smartly. Uh, I mean, Buck right. was I thought fantastic, and, and and as a matter of fact, at, at one point Buck said, "We don't have anything else to say. We're going to yeah. go to commercial," and and I thought that I thought that was I mean, you know, of course he made that decision with his producers, but I mean that's. That is a highly professional way to approach it, and I think I think that set a good tone for ESPN's coverage. Colbert was really good in the studio. I thought Booger McFarlane was fantastic, and I thought Adam Schefter added not a damn thing to the to the. But to but the, you know why to the broadcast? You know why he's there in case he gets 
access to some news. I will say Buck even did coming into the segment, coming out of commercial break. I think one of his first lines, and I'm, I'm guessing and paraphrasing here, was basically like, this is unlike anything we've ever seen before, and we don't really know what to tell you. Like yeah. he literally like started an entire segment with we don't know. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, that's the exact right thing to do. And and it and I thought he again, I thought ESPN like again, I don't necessarily love Joe Buck when he does like his HBO sit down interviews and stuff. Like that's not my that's not my thing. But and people have opinions on him, but Steve's right. Like the criticism of that crew is absurd. They did a and brilliant job on, on he's that. just he is he is just a he is just yeah. super polished and super yeah. professional. Yeah. And and I and honestly, he actually there was some humanity in there too. Like he added just the right amount of thoughtfulness. You could hear him his voice breaking occasionally at times. And I thought there was it was clear that it was an emotional moment for him as well. So I I thought they did a great I thought they did a great job. The other thing too was I, I think they benefited from not necessarily being on camera. That's you know, probably they, true. <laughs> but you know they never they they never went back to you know the, those sometimes awkward shots of them in the booth. You know. Usually, like you see them, like they're like going into the game or coming out of halftime with the green screen behind them. I, I, I thought it was a really good decision to not let to not do that and just let let yeah. Buck narrate the situation as opposed to having to be composed on camera. It, it just took it just took an awkward situation visually off the table. Yeah. I thought it was yeah. I, I thought they really benefited from it. Well, uh, I hope you guys, uh, you know, kind of has have some understanding of, of how those things unfold. Um, and I don't even know, like, what to compare it to, honestly, Steve, in terms of breaking stories that have happened in my life, watching them unfold in real time. Like, it's hard. I don't even I think Layman used the, the term severe. Like, if, if, it, if it's severe enough to rise to a certain point where you just need to repeat yourself at almost every other sentence on what you're seeing live, you kind of know it when you see it. It's hard to explain but you kind of know it when you see it. And again, I, you know, there's, well, there's and, few, and I hope people, I hope out. people understand. I, I thought the ratings, the, I thought the ratings, uh, information was, was really uh, illustrative because one of the criticisms uh, of it is, and, and, and my wife had this criticism, uh, you know, she's like, we we've heard you say the same thing over and over again. They have new audience coming to them, you know, you know, every minute. And and they have to repeat a, a lot of this for the new audience. And so I, I hope you understand that kind of like in a live situation, you know, just because you were there early doesn't mean that you're the right. only type of viewer that they're trying to serve, that they, that they that they have to, you know, they have to reset in order to bring everybody up to speed. Yeah, I think my wife turned it on like 48 minutes in. And, and like didn't know it was happening. And I was like in the other room, just flabbergasted watching the whole thing. And I was like, uh, you might want to turn it on. And then she watched for the next 15 minutes. And so it yeah. was but she was a new person that came in, you know, two thirds of the way through the entire ordeal. So, you know, I was going to give you guys a recommendation, but I don't it doesn't feel appropriate. <laughs> it just it doesn't feel with with the gravity of the topic of today. Uh, I, I think we're good. I think Steve did a great job. I think he was awesome. I, I, I do what I. I, I do want I do want to toss in kind of like one last thing here, and this is this is a bit of me bitching. Wait till the last. Uh, wait till the very last minute. To very last end here. If All you right, say okay. if you stayed till the end, you got right, really get some, stuff. Get some bitching. All right. Um, <laughs> the 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 people who felt it necessary to chime in with their vaccine theories, uh, in the middle of all this, and asking if, if that was a thing. Oh my God! It, oh, it was Jesus. It was explosive on social media, and I. And matter of fact, if you do a, if you did kind of a vaccine search around that time, 
you had all of these crazy conspiracy nuts going, was he vaccinated? Was oh you know, a, a, this being I the guess, reason? I guess I'm not and, surprised that that's how it got. It got to I, that bad. And, you know, screw all of those people. Really? I mean, I just I just couldn't get to anything through the Skip Bayless screenshots. I, I, could, I couldn't get that was the only, I, could, I couldn't find any information through all of the screenshots of Skip Bayless. So um, who, again, I'm surprised has not gotten 218 votes yet in the House. I'm just shocked by that. Um, <laughs> for Steve Cavendish and for Jasper's. <laughs> That's a deep cut right there, folks. For those of you who stick all the way to the very, very end to hear us bitch about stuff that you don't care about. Um, Steve Cavendish, Nashville Banner. I'm Braden Gall. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Steve Lehman for giving us so much of his time. We'll talk to you guys again next week. This has been Lane Stream Sports here on the 440 Sports Network.